we say to America is be true to what you said on paper. If I lived in China or even Russia or any totalitarian country, maybe I could understand some of these illegal injunctions. Maybe I could understand the denial of certain basic First Amendment privileges because they haven't committed themselves to that over there. But somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly. Somewhere I read of the freedom of speech. Somewhere I read of the freedom of press. Somewhere I read that the greatness of America is the right to protest far right. So, Destin, I say we aren't going to let any dogs or water hoses turn us around. We aren't going to let any injunction turn us around. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now. Because I've been to the mountaintop. A long life, longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know the night that we as a people will get to the promised land. Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. Some call it the insurrection of January 6th. Some call it an attempted coup. But tonight we're going to take a look as we revisit the voices from Capitol Hill and the tragedy of January 6th. And we're also going to be having an exclusive one-on-one interview with Congressman Jamie Raskin. And I'll tell you what. He has showed true, really a true hero, trying to find the answers that need to be answered. Uh, in the midst of his own tragedy, he stepped to the plate to make a difference. You're going to hear that and much more as we revisit Capitol Hill and the insurrection of January 6th. Folks, hang on to your seats. We take off right now. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks along with David Banks, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zapolo, Samson Riddle, 
William Williams, Clinton Stewart, and Dennis Merritt, along with the entire AJC Radio team. And we are excited tonight as we will, again, bring to you a one-on-one interview with Congressman um, Jamie Raskin, who I had an opportunity to sit down with and talk to, uh, really a, a, a gentleman, but one with, with huge principles. Uh, and he shares his story of horror uh, of what took place on January 6th. Uh, and what makes it so interesting, the day before the insurrection, he buried his son who had passed away uh, and had to walk into a situation where his daughter's life was unsure whether she would actually survive this situation. That's a lot to entail, a lot to deal with. It's important that we discuss it. Ladies and gentlemen, feel free to dial in to 646-200-0628. 646-200-0628 and add your uh, comments, any questions you might have as we get ready for this show. Sam really your thoughts on this one? Well, I think this is going to be a, just a, a heart-wrenching story and, and topic to delve into today. I mean, you got to understand the absolute terror and horror that these people went through, not only the, uh, the representative, Mr. Raskin, but also these four officers that recently testified. I mean, no doubt this is like probably one of the most blatant acts of domestic terrorism committed on our soil by by our own citizens here. I mean, they're coming through, they're storming the White House, they're beating people with poles with American flags attached to them. There's being doused, people being doused with pepper spray and all kinds of other chemicals, and they're fearing for their lives for simply doing their job and protecting the Capitol like they were, they, they, like they were hired to do. They take pride in their work, and these officers are now having to get up in front of the nation, give gut-wrenching testimonies, go through multiple surgeries, rehab, and there's been at least over 70 of the uh, the Capitol Police that I know that have resigned for various reasons. So the fact is that, they, that these people had to experience this at all from their fellow citizens is an atrocity, and I can't wait to delve into this subject this evening. Well, without question. William, your thoughts? You know, I agree. Um, the thing that really stands out to me, and I know we're going to get into this and, and peel this back and look at it really uh, really, really closely. But, you know, a lot of these people were sitting there saying, you know, blue lives matter, blue lives matter. And they they were really acting as, as terrorists. They were the same people that they were saying blue lives matter. You saw the flags. They're literally, you know, assaulting these police officers. They were there to 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 protect our capital. I mean, that's that's the that's the symbol of the freedom of this country. And, you know, the thing that stood out to me more than anything else, they said for the first time in U.S. history, um, you know, a Confederate flag was in the in the in the capital. You know, for the first time, and that's that's a huge huge thing to realize. If you think about, you know, the, the Revolutionary War was ended in 1863, 1865. Here we are in 2021, and this this symbol of hatred, symbol of a dark time in our country, was for the first time in the Capitol. And people try to minimize it. They try to act like, well, it's not that big of a deal. That's a huge, huge deal. That's a huge, huge deal. And it stands for what these people, the person that took that flag there, what they, what it stood for in his mind. Hatred, racism, a stance that he that you know he's taking. It's it's hard. It's really hard to digest everything that went on there and for people to look at it and minimize it. It's, it's terrible. I think it's absolutely terrible. Well, I think one of the things, uh, we've been to Washington, D.C. on a number of occasions, and I can tell you right now, uh, to penetrate that capital, uh, 
takes a lot. Uh, but this was a this was a mob. That's the amount of people were going up there, uh, and it's a tragedy uh, that things have gone the way they have gone. Uh, the bottom line is whether you agree with Congress. Uh, whether you agree with the politics many times that's in play in this country, uh, the fact these are human beings and lives were on, basically lives were hanging in the balance uh, as a result of, of this attempted coup uh, and to overthrow uh, an election. I said this before, I'll say it again. If people believe, a man's belief is as powerful as his action. If a man, woman believes that the election of 2020 was stolen. If they believe that, this is what you're going to get. Because they feel like they are the victims of a... Uh, and that's not to excuse the behavior, so please let me be clear on that. But this country is divided down the middle, middle on political lines. People, you got 74 million people that voted for Donald Trump. 74 million. You have the other number voted for Biden. 74 million people, a huge chunk of those people believe the election was stolen. Now, we have to be definitely more careful in what we say. The rhetoric that's thrown around on both sides. Because what you have is the outcome of this. This is what you have. As of August 4th, Four Capitol Police officers committed suicide and took their own lives as a result of the insurrection. That's somebody's father. That's somebody's brother. That's somebody's uh, son. That is a tragedy. And so make no mistake about it. What happened should have never happened. And we have never seen it in the history of this country where an election uh, was met with such controversy as this one was. But the 2016 election was met with huge controversy because of the parties at play here. Um, David, your thoughts? Yeah, I think uh, that January 6th was a tragic event. Unfortunately, um, and it's sad to say, the political rhetoric in this country, and it continues to this day, it divides people and it divides them in a very uh, in a very harsh and visceral way these are visceral emotions that are being stir stirred up by political rhetoric and sadly it's happening on both sides I even look at the 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 current COVID and the vaccination type stuff where they're actually demeaning and really marginalized people and treating the people who have questions about vaccines as if they are non-patriotic and the scum of the earth right. and that they are they are uh, one teacher this or uh, legislator from the teachers uh, union or from the school board said the kids would be committing mass murder Kids would oh, come to wow. school who weren't vaccinated are capable of committing murder on other children. That sort of talk right. and that sort of rhetoric about people who have legitimate questions about the vaccine. Uh, African-Americans had questions about it because they used to test vaccines on African-Americans 
and use them literally as guinea pigs. So is it is it uh, shocking that they would have questions about a vaccine? But every person has to make those type of decisions. But uh, back to the the point of January 6th, if 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 politicians don't continue to, or if they continue to divide this country uh, with this harsh and bitter rhetoric on both sides uh sadly we might be headed for civil wars this stuff has got to stop you've got to start respecting people uh you don't have to agree with their views but uh just like january 6th you don't have to agree with the election but you don't storm the capitol and and damage and, and commit acts of violence and crime that's t- that's always going to be inexcusable. Nobody's ever going to excuse anyone using violence in any capacity. Martin Luther King didn't use violence. He uh, he got a lot done in this country, but you have to have strong leadership like that to actually get that done. That that would actually bring people together. Well, no, without question, Congressman Raskin was a he was appointed as head of the committee uh, dealing with the investigation into January six. Uh, he gave statements, he gave opening statements, arguments about this act. Uh, my hat's off to the congressman. I've had the opportunity to sit down and talk with him before in Washington. Uh, and he seems to be a man of, of high moral character, uh, a man that really uh, wanted to do the right thing. I think that's a lot of people on Capitol Hill. At the end of the day, from the time President Trump was elected to office, uh, and the the... the Supporters of the president uh, will say that he never gave a direct order uh, to break the Capitol windows and go in there. But because he's the president of the United States, we can talk in code all day long. We can give an in a uh, indication uh, of what we would like to see done without saying it. Uh, that's a, that's open for debate by a lot of people on both sides. Uh, but at the end of the day, you cannot have the rhetoric. And Trump was reckless in many times with his with his language, uh, because you got people sitting on their couch uh, that says, you know what? I think I'll, I think I want to support the president. I think he got it stolen. Let's go do something about it. That's the danger of the power of the position in the office of the presidency of the United States. Uh, but we're going to deal with that. Nevertheless, it is a tragedy when life is lost. Uh, it is a horrible thing. Uh, the fact that five Capitol Police officers felt a need to end their life based on the tragedy of that day. Um, we're going to hear some of that testimony here during the, uh, the during the progress of this show. Uh, this is an emotional show, but one that needs to be discussed. Critically important, folks. Again, dial in if you'd like, 646 200 0628, give us your thoughts on the insurrection. Uh, we are aware that a lot of our listeners listen online. They don't actually call into the show. Uh, a great bulk of them, of the up to 30 million listeners across the country, are doing that online. Uh, but if you get a moment and you want to call in and you got a question or a comment you'd like to add, uh, we welcome those comments. 646-200-0628. Ladies and gentlemen, the insurrection, January 6th, we visit. And we hear from the voices of Capitol Hill about that day. And also coming up, one-on-one exclusive interview that I had with Congressman Jamie Raskin. Folks, this is AJC Radio. We'll be right back.
There's a lot of mud when it rains here and it makes it really hard to find food. There are car bombs every day. My mom worries about me when I go out. Every time I hear the alarm bell go off in school, I think it's an air raid. Sometimes I have nightmares about it. A lot of houses in our neighborhood have been destroyed. I like to close my ears and sing songs whenever the bombs come close. My dad says we have to leave, which makes me scared. I'm worried our new neighbors won't like us. What if they don't understand our religion? Because we don't speak the language, it might be hard for me to make friends. But I know it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be worth it. I just want my family to be safe. But these are not my words. These are not my words. These are not my words. Sergeant Michelle Garcia served meritoriously in Iraq and has the medals to prove it. Soon after leaving the Navy, Lieutenant Chris Scott found a job, a home, and started a family of his own. Corpsman Richard Stokely took the skills he learned in Vietnam and put them to good use as a paramedic. But soon after leaving the military, each of these veterans fell on hard times and faced homelessness. Even after Michelle lost all her savings, even after Chris wasn't able to pay his mortgage, And even after Richard battled alcoholism for years, they each reached out for help when they needed it most. A simple phone call put them in touch with a trained professional from the Department of Veterans Affairs. That call got Michelle a place to stay until she could afford one of her own, put Chris in touch with employment assistance, and found Richard a substance abuse program. These veterans are success stories not only for how they were able to help others while serving their country, but for how they were able to let others help them. If you know of or are a veteran in need, make the call. The United States of America incarcerates more people than any other country in the world. In fact, the U.S. hosts more prison inmates than all other developed nations combined. As of 2010, the world population was over 6.8 billion people, with an estimated 9.8 million in jail. This figure, compiled by the International Center for Prison Studies, refers both to individuals held in jail awaiting trial and inmates serving time after sentencing. So there are 9.8 million human beings on planet Earth living inside of cages that we know of. In 2010, the U.S. was home to about 309 million people, 4.5% of the world's total population, but housed 23% of the world's prisoners. So take a moment to think about what this means. It means we imprison more people than enormous autocratic countries like China. We imprison more people than Russia. Compared to the size of our population, our rate of imprisonment dwarfs our closest allies, like the United Kingdom, France, and Canada. As of 2010, there were over 1.6 million post-trial inmates serving sentences in America's state and federal facilities. This number does not include those being detained pre-trial or those on probation. The most unique feature of incarceration in America is the large and active role of our federal government. In most countries, crime is reacted to at the local or regional level, whereas the American government finances and legislates a significant portion of law enforcement at the national level. State governments still do their fair share of incarceration, though. California and Texas incarcerate more than other states with over 171,000 inmates each. Florida is a close third with over 103,000 prisoners. But no single state locks up more people than the federal government with over 208,000 inmates. 
Perhaps the nickname Land of the Free, Home of the Brave, should be updated. Though I suppose you need to be brave to endure the highest likelihood of incarceration the world has ever known. Prisons are not what we think about when we think of America, and they shouldn't have to be. A free nation shouldn't imprison so many people, and a fiscally responsible nation can't afford to. With close to $40 billion a year in state correctional spending, the financial costs are obvious and staggering alone. But the human costs are often underappreciated. 1.6 million fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of American families are incarcerated. It's time for people to realize that the criminal justice system in America is desperately in need of reform. to introduce my dad because he's my hero. When I was little, my dad was away a lot, but I was okay with that because he was doing this really important work, driving ambulances in Iraq. Now he's at home, which is great for me because I get to see him every day now. And he's still the biggest hero I know because he tells all the ambulances and the fire engines where to go and rescue people when there's an emergency. I'm so proud of him. He's awesome. He's my dad. If your service-connected disability prevents you from continuing in your civilian career, Voc Rehab offers counseling, training with a living allowance, education, and other services to help prepare you for your next mission. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now add a wrongful conviction to that, life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with. Especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions by remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation. You can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today, 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children as they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight as we uh, revisit the insurrection of January 6th and all the things that happened on that day that many people want to forget. Uh, it was a tragedy. It was something never seen 
not only in this country, but by our uh, foreign leaders around the world, our allies, to, that actually would watch such an act uh, is an open door to terrorists to make a move against the United States in situations just like that uh, because the leadership of this country now stands compromised. Uh, so this goes far beyond the actions that happened on that day, uh, the uh, storming of the Capitol, the violence that was involved here. What message do we send our allies or even our enemies around the globe that, you know what, America's kind of hanging out here, not really together. They, they got this happening, that happening. Perhaps, and nobody's having this conversation, perhaps we, our enemies, then target a date to try to bring another 9-11 to this country. Nobody's thinking about that. But I'm going to tell you, when you have a uproar and, a, and havoc uh, taken against the leadership of this country, you better believe minds are thinking, man, what can we do? And then not only are the people in Washington, D.C. actually at risk, Americans across the country now become at risk. Dave, you had a comment earlier. What is it? Well, we talked about how there's a division in this country. And when you see, even after the testimony of the officers um, that were involved in this riot, this terrorist action, you had Andrew Clyde, a Republican congressman from Georgia, said he stood by his past statements comparing the Capitol rioters to a tourist visit during a heated argument with Jamie Raskin. A tourist visit? This is not a tourist visit. This is people that are killing other people that are trying to destroy property. That's not a tourist visit. And if you can say that after hearing the officer's testimony, what, what does that say for our leaders in this country? No, without question. It's, it's one of those things that are very troubling. Uh, and then again, as David alluded to, everything has a political spin. So rather than call it what it is, let's let's take the weight off of this and understand, uh, you know, this was a look. We've been in D.C. doing a tourist uh, uh, situation on the Capitol. We've been there. And I'm telling you, it's not remotely even possibly close to that's just to me an ignorant statement. How do you make a statement like that? When people died as a result of it, and people's lives were in danger, uh, to that to that congressman, uh, uh, that that's horrible. It's a horrible thing to say, horrible thing to say, Kendrick. And uh, just, I hope something doesn't get lost in this whole riot thing because the riot was the wrong way to do this, whatever their end goal was. But I think this is an opportunity for all these leaders. There was a reason that these people got so motivated that they thought that violence was the answer. And you also got to look at the fact, because as we were talking off air, 74 million people voted for Trump. So there has to be some belief. Yeah. Or or some legitimacy in their reasoning as to why aren't they satisfied with the status quo? And I think it's not just on a political party issue, but it's like there are certain things in this country that need to change and how it runs and how inefficient it is and how much waste there is if you these the way they did the riot was wrong but they also should dig into the fact what would motivate average american citizens to come down to uh washington dc and get just whipped up into this fervor 
there has to be some point because I mean, most of these people you look at the job. There's ex there's ex police officers there, people that you would consider on just paper. These are rational individuals. Well, know? look, the problem is any person that engaged uh, in these actions, uh, I can't see any argument that would confirm legitimacy in that sake now and that's what i mean not not right. the, not the violent action i'm, I'm saying but right, what, right. what would make them blow follow this crowd as as this as if they are right because trump tapped into something to get their votes well, look, but here's what you got you, know, you got a nation divided down the middle so 74 million people to vote for trump is not that's a lot of people but it's a lot of belief in trump now, one thing that happened with Trump during his presidency, policies of Donald Trump were not outrageous. His policies were not. Who he was as a person was the, was the issue. Exactly. Who His rhetoric was so recklessly dangerous. But if you just look at Trump on paper, policy-wise, he did what other presidents do. Where he crossed the line, it went beyond the policies. And that's where you have this problem here. And I'm in total agreement with that. Right. And, and, I'm, I'm, and I'm just hoping they don't lose the fact that there's also, if, if government looks away from people like this, this is going to happen again. Well, right. They have to kind of address, okay, so what, the policies were good, but what made, what what was the sauce that, that was Trump was able to tap into to get these people just wholeheartedly believe in this narrative that he had, which wasn't, you know, didn't agree, but they, it, he hit something, you know? Well, and I think that's part of the, they say they're conducting an investigation. The investigation should include why are these people so, 74 million people, I think was Ken is talking about, so dissatisfied with what's going on in this country until they can be led down this particular path uh, where some are just going to commit violence, others are just going to be very dissatisfied and well, inflammatory rhetoric, uh, rhetoric always makes that worse. And then you don't get to, you don't tap into the uh, to the root cause. Why are these people so dissatisfied? And you can go, you can go as quickly as uh, uh, Joe Biden coming in immediately and destroying Keystone Pipeline j- jobs Immediately, I'm just going to cancel the Keystone Pipeline. Thousands of people just immediately out of work. And now it's down party lines. Well, we were working. The Democratic president came in. I don't have a job. And then now the Republican side and Republican media, uh, and in some cases rightfully so, are going to say this dude just came in and took jobs. Well, And so this is the type of stuff underlying some some of the, the deep feelings that could be causing people just to become more and more uh, disdainful of the other party and and the people in the other party. Well, I think this has to be definitely noted. 74 million people didn't show up at the Capitol to to, uh, do violently what happened that day. So I, I would like to believe that there's a lot of people that supported Trump that didn't agree with the insurrection who voted for him that thought this is outrageous because they you have you have some protesters there that day that were not violent protesters you had as we talked during the break you had somebody 
uh, when when one of the uh, violent folks ended up trying to get at an officer and to hurt him, one of the protesters said, pulled back, said, "Man, don't don't hit him, don't do that. We're not here for that." So you have a mixture of people, but they're lost in the violence that took place. So I think one point to be made here, which is critical. I believe the acts of January 6th were an indirect result, whether we agree with that or not, based upon reckless rhetoric that happened at that time, I believe by by the Trump administration and by President Trump. There was enough out there. Now, criminally, very difficult to, to charge Trump with that because he never verbally said go break into the Capitol and do violence. He never said it. But if you're sitting on your couch in any living room in America during the day that the election was lost and what began to lead up to this insurrection, it is clear, indirectly or not, that you cannot tell me that the influence of President Trump was not at play here. It had to be. But at the same time, As David alludes to all the time, you have reckless rhetoric on both sides of the aisle. So you will say, and and I heard this, they'll go and say, well, you know, the Democrats said, let's go fight. Let's go do this. Let's stand up and go to war. If the Trump administration says that. It's the same thing. But if because of what resulted, more heat's going to be on the Trump administration but the reason they couldn't go after Trump as far as the rhetoric at for criminally, because both sides have done it. But you also have to look at Maxine Waters' uh, recent statements. I'm sure you've seen that on right. TV. If you see anybody from this administration, pretty much get in their face, tell them they're not welcome. If you think that's not going to stir, so now you're getting in people's face, go up to them. Uh, form a crowd. Get around them. So what type of that's that's the same incendiary type rhetoric that Donald Trump was using in many cases to to inflame the the passions and tensions of people who are already dealing uh, with some very tense issues in their life. And this is this is happens to be one of them. Uh, I think what uh, Congressman Raskin did uh, to get together and say, look, there are certain things we call politics and it's corrupt and it has this way and that way. Every politician isn't a corrupt politician. Every politician is not a politician that doesn't care. Uh, that'd be unfair to make that statement. Uh, I believe me personally meeting Congressman Raskin uh, seems to be a, a very nice young uh, gentleman uh, trying to do what he can up there on the Hill. And there's a lot of people in that position trying to do what they can. I think this called for action by Congress because it was their house that was invaded. It was their house that people have died. Capitol Police people died when they ran through the barricade. And the gentleman in the car, I think shortly after this, uh, that officer ultimately came succumbed to his injuries. He died. Uh, that's a different conversation. So it's not just about political rhetoric. That's a different conversation because we can disagree and argue and debate and go back and forth. Congress does that every day in Congress, on the floor. But I'll tell you what, when lives begin to be lost and violence erupts as it did on January 6th, my hat's off to anybody, I don't care if you're Democrat or Republican, to say something has to be done, 
You have people in the Republican Party that said, you know what? I can't stand with Donald Trump on this, regardless of what political fallout that may happen because of this. There has to be a level of conviction that, you know what? I got to go home at night and sleep. And I got to know I can sleep knowing, you know what? I didn't agree with this. No matter what party I was with, I didn't agree with this. That takes courage to be done. That's the bottom line. Clint. Yeah, you got it. Uh, let's remember the process that was going on. They were counting the votes to say, you know, what was going on as far as these, uh, uh, what do they call it? Electoral uh, college. Yeah, electoral college. So they wanted to interrupt that process. Let, let's remember that. Also, I think it's indisputable that if this were a, a, a mob of, of Muslim belief, the book would be thrown at them. As if, if this was a mob of blacks, the book would be thrown at them. Uh, the, the, the crime of treason is still on in the, in, in the United States uh, Constitution. And so that's a point. You know, I, I believe that make America great again, going back to the past, you're taking something from me is the motivation. You know, to Ken's point, you're taking something from me. I don't like the fact that you're taking this thing from me. We're going to make America great again. Trump attracted a lot of extremist views, racism, uh, uh, elitist mindset. You're taking this thing from me. We have a position. We're going to maintain that position. We're going to keep the position. And we like the leader who's there, and we're going to interrupt the count. But here's the difference. To interrupt the count was was, was pointless because the count was going the count was administratively done. It's never been aired uh, over the years of elections. We've never had been in the, uh, you know, on the hill where they're counting. It became an issue this year because of what Donald Trump was hoping to get done by Vice President Pence. We've never been. It's never been televised. So that tells you one thing. I do, I do not believe 74 million people that voted for Trump. Are violent protesters? I don't either. I don't. I don't think that. That there's there's people that are are Republicans that would have never engaged in that violence on that hill. I think to David's point, when any party, Democrat, Independent, whatever, puts a group of people into this one basket, you're going to have division magnified even more because now you're attacking me. I didn't. You have Republicans that come out. I, look, I didn't agree with the, the, the violence on Capitol Hill that day. I didn't agree with it. Don't tell me I'm a violent protester as a Republican just because I voted for Trump. And, and another point you have to make is in the Democratic Democratic type protests of some of the Black Lives Matter and stuff, mm-hmm. you have people that took violent positions in those types of protests. You can't blame all the BLM protesters. Which, they, which a lot of them did. A lot of them right. did. And, and you hear on conservative talk radio, well, BLM and they're a, a terrorist organization. Well, now your rhetoric, rhetoric's out of control. That's right. But people have to understand what politics is. Yep. Now, remember, politicians always have these clever, uh, these tropes, tough on crime. Well, tough on crime resulted in, in this broad tough on crime Approach resulted in mass incarceration of African Americans, and, and created a a serious uh, incarceration state in this country. Basically, because politicians came out, we need to be tough on crime, and then they create all the create all these vague laws with ambitious prosecutors. Well, nobody's doing anything 
uh, specific because it's based on this this broad tough on crime mantra that we need to be tough on crime. So the guy that stole the candy bar, make sure he spends a year in prison. This guy over here, we're tough on crime. And you well, remember both parties were guilty. Like they were combating they, on who's the toughest. Exactly. Right? And that was the problem. That's, and that's, that's, the, that's the whole problem with politics. It's a dirty game in the 2020 election. Uh, in my view, the Democrats played the game better. Trump shot himself in the foot through his own uh, bullets from his mouth. And that's how, how it ended up. And then he ends up inflaming all these people's tensions and the Capitol riot happens. But you just got to listen to and know what who politicians are. And if you don't look back over history to see what is the result of political rhetoric and the damage it's done to this country, um, then you're never going to learn and this stuff is going to continue to take place. No, without question. William, you know, I, to that point, and Kendrick brought up the point earlier, you know, to understand why these people march. I mean, there was an estimated 9,000 people that were in that march um, against the Capitol. Um, that was a figure that was stated during the the um, the hearings. And you think about that. That's a, that's a lot of people. That's a, extra, that's a lot of people that are in uproar. And, and, to, and to your point, there's some that were not there uh, to invoke violence, but they were there to express their opinions but until we understand that that's that's that is the true you know sore at this and i think one of the things that keeps perpetuating this problem is that when you see uh the senators not wanting to participate in it you didn't see full party participation in this investigation so like for instance you know we saw liz cheney and we saw kinzinger there at the hearings now they were, you know, so you see this and they were saying, hey, listen, we need to understand when you saw it at the end, you saw Kinzinger come down. He was in tears and he hugged the officers and you're sitting there. You're saying, OK, at this point, you could put away party party lines or whatever and just see the humanity here and understand that these men stood there doing their job. They could they, you know, they were at risk. And you say, you know what? You did something that's incredible on a day that. We have not seen. I was just reading the article. They said that was that was one of the worst days we've seen in U.S. history since 9-11, where the officers that were involved were, you know, risk injury, laceration, um, heart attack. One died. Sicknick died. You know, when you think about that, that is that's pretty phenomenal. I mean, in our lifetime, we've seen two major events in, in U.S. history that that cost a lot of lives that were based on terrorists. You know, and, and we don't want to use that term terrorist because they're our people. They're U.S. citizens. But terrorism doesn't have a nationality. It's just the act of doing so. And and so until we understand the, the civil unrest and to David's point, how, how the political agenda will stoke those fires, we're going to be here again. Oh, without question. And uh, I want to hear a little bit. We're going to play a little bit of Capitol Hill police and in their words, um, ABC News report on the testimony that happened a couple of weeks ago. We're going to hear it. We're going to come back talk about it. And then uh, at the top of the hour, we're going to bring the uh, uh, Jamie, Congressman Jamie Raskin interview uh, to our listeners. Let's play the clip. And the other major news this Tuesday night, the House Select Committee on the January 6th attack on the Capitol and its first public hearing today. Four officers who defended the Capitol that day in their own words in front of the American people 
their searing and emotional descriptions of what they witnessed, what was said to them, what was done to them, and more than one officer saying, I thought I was going to die, and how they feel about efforts to redefine what really happened that day. Rachel Scott on the Hill tonight. Do you swear? Tonight, four uniformed police officers, in their own words, testifying before Congress, telling Americans what they went through on January 6th. I remember thinking there was a very good chance I would be torn apart or shot to death with my own weapon. Their harrowing account came with new and raw video. The violent mob of Trump supporters surging into the Capitol. This officer refusing to give ground even as one man punches the glass behind him. Sergeant Aquilino Ganell, who also served in Iraq, first to testify. In January 6, for the first time, I was more afraid to work at the Capitol than my entire deployment to Iraq. Sergeant Ganell said he thought he was going to die. Crushed by the mob, sprayed by chemicals. I arrived home at nearly 4 a.m. on January 7. I had to push my wife away from me because she wanted to hug me. And I told her no because of the other chemical that I, my uniform had on. Sorry. Then Officer Michael Fanone. I was dragged from the line of officers and into the crowd. I heard someone scream, I got one. As I was swarmed by a violent mob, they ripped off my badge. They grabbed and stripped me of my radio. They seized ammunition that was secured to my body. They began to beat me with their fists and with what felt like hard metal objects. I heard chanting from some in the crowd, get his gun and kill him with his own gun. I thought of my four daughters who might lose their dad. I said as loud as I could manage, I've got kids. His body camera capturing that moment. What makes the struggle harder and more painful is to know so many of my fellow citizens, including so many of the people I put my life at risk to defend, are downplaying or outright denying what happened. The indifference shown to my colleagues is disgraceful. Officer Daniel Hodges. There were a significant number of men dressed in tactical gear attending the gathering, wearing ballistic vests, helmets, goggles, military face masks. What happened to Officer Hodges in the Capitol recorded on video for the world to see. And even today, clearly painful for him to watch, crushed in a doorway by men he calls terrorists. Directly in front of me, a man seized the opportunity of my vulnerability, he grabbed the front of my gas mask, and used it to beat my head against the door. He switched to pulling it off my head, the straps stretching against my skull and straining my neck. Finally, Officer Harry Dunn, a 13-year veteran of the Capitol Police, describing a face-off with the racist mob. I told them to just leave the Capitol, and in response, they yelled, no, man, this is our house. President Trump invited us here. We're here to stop the steal. Joe Biden is not the president, 
Nobody voted for Joe Biden. I'm a law enforcement officer, and I do my best to keep politics out of my job. But in this circumstance, I responded, well, I voted for Joe Biden. Does my vote not count? Am I nobody? That prompted a torrent of racial epithets. One woman in a pink MAGA shirt yelled, you hear that, guys? This voted for Joe Biden. Then the crowd, perhaps around 20 people, joined in screaming, boo. No one had ever, ever called me a while wearing the uniform of a Capitol Police officer. Republican Congresswoman Liz Cheney then asking about former President Donald Trump's words revealed in recent days, how he described the crowd on January 6th. You hear uh, former President Trump say, quote, it was a loving crowd. There was a lot of love in the crowd. How does that make you feel? It's upsetting. It's a pathetic excuse for his behavior for something that he himself helped to create this monstrosity. And Cheney making it clear tonight that subpoenas are coming. Congressman Adam Schiff telling me that no one will be off limits, including Republican leader Kevin McCarthy and former president Donald Trump. David? Rachel Scuff, who was on the air with us today. Rachel, thanks. There you have it, heart-wrenching, um, troubling. I mean, real lives were affected here. Um, it's hard to gather the words. The gentleman said, I have kids, please do not kill me. It's a tragedy. I agree with William's point to hear that is unreal to me. That's unreal. Um, and these are officers that were fighting to protect lives in that building. So they used the N-word with one of the officers. He said he'd never been called that his entire time as being a Capitol Police officer. Said this N-word voted for Biden. You have so much mixed in here. You got extreme racism here. You got segregation here. You have pure, unadulterated hate here. And I actually saw the clip, but I don't know who may have seen it, with the officer that they was trapped between the door. Hodges. Um, and they were pressing his head. Could have, could have killed him. Yeah, he was, he was trapped there, and he, and he, and then that you heard he say he took his mask and was beating him. I mean, these, these men went through. I mean, Fanon, that you were talking about earlier, he was one that, um, he was very adamant. He beat on the table and stuff. But yeah. he suffered He suffered a heart attack. He was also had con concussion. 
and uh, traumatic brain injury. It's the gentleman that. with the goatee, right? Yeah, with the goatee and the, t- yeah. the tattoos. Yeah, and, and they just recently did a big article on him because of what he faced. Well, the ironic part here, we were listening to us uh, the other other day, maybe last week, during his testimony, a call voicemail was left on his phone. You could not repeat the horrific language and threats that were made to this man at the time that he testified about fighting for his life. It was so bad. You're thinking, man, and it was pure hate. You don't know this man. You don't know his family. He's going, getting up, going to work, doing his job as Capitol Hill police. But it's tragic. Samson, your thoughts really quick. Well, I was just reading up on it, the different officers, too, like Gunnell. He's one, he's had to go through two surgeries so far. I think he said one on his hand or one on his foot, one on his shoulder, and he's in rehab for multiple reasons, not just the physical injuries, but the psychological, the mental trauma that they went through. I mean, and the fact is, like the like the one officer was saying, like he just he can't believe it. These are the people that he gets up every day and puts his life on the line to protect them. The one man with you could hear the emotion in his voice was like, I can't even get my, let my wife hug me when I come home because of the chemicals I have been doused with by these citizens that were just trying to barge in, take over the Capitol, and do whatever they wanted to do. There was no consideration of life here. Like you said, I mean, it was steeped in racism. It was steeped in this. There was nothing but division associated with this entire riot. There was no point other than the fact that they didn't get their way with their candidate. That's it, and, and as a response, they incited violence. They, they incited, as we said, timing, and they incited acts of terrorism. And and ultimately, like they, they've cost several people their lives. And I mean, who, who's going to answer for it? Well, think of the family members of the four officers who said they cannot take it anymore. Exactly. They left family behind. What? trauma does the wife of those officers those that were married what do they live with every day now you can't undo nor can you unring that bell the kids that lost a father because they just simply felt they could not take it anymore make no mistake about it that is the difference and we have never in the history of our nation seen something on this level as a result of that election. Yeah, you got people upset. Many people are going to go out and get drunk. Uh, My candidate didn't win. But you know what? You wake up the next morning, you accept the fact, look, I remember I was sharing this with my mother um, after the 2016 election. I went into a Safeway and there was just, just this cloud People were sad. Their heads were down as they were trying to grocery shop. It's like they had been through a fight, a heavyweight fight, and lost. And I said, the lady said to me, I said, I said, are you okay? She said, does it feel like somebody died? <laughs> that was the morning that Trump, that was the, the, day, the morning after Trump won. Everybody had an opinion. But guess what? The point I'm making is, 
you didn't go to the grocery store and start shooting people saying, look, my candidate lost. Uh, you know what? You shake your head if you didn't agree. You didn't think this one would win. But guess what? In the history of the country, you simply pick your head up. You get up and go another day. And you wait for the next four years. That's just the, that's how it works in this country. And the flip-flop of the presidency, occasionally you'll get a two-term president. It's going to shift probably after that. You may get another one term, may shift after that. But that's the history of politics and elections. We've never seen violence break out like this in the history of the country. That's why people are so outraged. And when you hear those officers talk, it's hard to hold the emotion. When the young man began to share, Samson alluded to, he couldn't hug his wife because there was so, I mean, these people had chemicals and sprays and pepper spray and things like that. Um, it's a sad state of affairs. David? I'm struck, and I'll make a real quick comment about the officer. I don't think people are really watching what politics is and what politicians do. You say, I can't believe the people who I protect don't want to really find out what happened. Well, that's politics. Because an investigation into the matter creates the potential of an election loss. Of an election loss. So it's like, look, we need to let this thing go because we have an election coming up. The other party's going to keep it going so we don't want to engage. We don't really mind finding out what happened. Let's find out what happened after we win, win. the ele- win the election. So that's so. To, if people are really looking at what politics is, this is nothing new. It's, I'm not shocked that the Republicans don't want to engage or participate in a investigation into <coughs> uh, what happened at the Capitol. Because it was brought about by largely people who supported Trump, and which was which which puts a stain on the Republican Party. So let's let that go. We know it's wrong. We'll admit it was wrong, but we don't want to talk about it anymore. We have an election. We got an election. We got to get to, and we want to talk about Joe Biden and the stuff he's doing or not doing, so we can maximize our political no. capital around that and don't want to be involved. So don't be shocked that these people don't want to find out. You just haven't been, really been looking, and most Americans really don't look at how politics works, and this stuff happens all the time on both sides. Well, the fear is there's a number that the Republican Party cannot get out of their head, and not all of them, so I don't want to lump them all together, but a great majority, 74 million votes. You have an election coming up. It's 2021 now, right? Yep, three years. I'm good on the time. <laughs> no, you have an election coming up next year. Oh, yeah, midterm. midterm. Midterm elections. And that's the concern as David speaks to the politics. Politics is law. Politics is God to these people. I'm not getting ready yet because you know what? President Trump is out here running rallies for 2024. Already. He's out here uh, endorsing candidates for 2022. So before they even think, to David's point, this was wrong. And they made the statement, nobody 
I saw this on the news a couple weeks ago. Nobody, no Republican has ever said that January 6th was, was, was not a tragedy. It was. But just enough to put a general blanket statement out there not to name Trump, not to name the Republican Party, because guess what? There's 74 million votes on the table. And that's not only 2022, that's 2024. Absolutely. Now, we would like to believe maybe that changes in a couple of years. No guarantee. If a person believes to be robbed of an election or their candidate is a victim, a victim lasts a lot longer than just a general situation. If they victimize Trump, that Trump's policies helped America. The game they're going to play is, is that, and this is just politics. We have a president right now forcing vaccinations, violating the rights of its citizens. Now, politically speaking, that is a game changer for 2024 and 2022. Because you know what? I don't care whether you disagree or agree on both sides of the aisle. You want your rights protected, and you don't want anybody telling you what you have to put in your body. That's a common uh, right. And, and political eyes, Biden is in violation of that and pursuing that. Now, again, I'm not saying I agree with that. What I'm saying is, to everybody's point tonight around this table about politics, politics rule. And until politics cease to rule, anything is possible. And any act is possible. Demetrius. But like you said, Mont, that the people suffering for these acts of politics, quote unquote, I, I looked at the definition of a lynch mob, and it's different than a murder, killing or assault in that it's outside the boundaries of due process by the mob and who reenacts revenge or some type of offense. So that's what happened on January 6th. They felt that they were, uh, there was some offense and they wanted to take care of business. Not all the nine, uh, 9,000 people there, but that's, that's the disheartening thing that you hear these officers whose lives were on the line that have families and like to your point if this doesn't if we haven't learned anything from january 6 it's going to happen in 2022 possibly or 2024 if the outcome or the offense is uh maybe recognized by the party so that's the danger if we don't correct this now well and it is it the question the big question is is it can it be fixed i don't right. know i don't know i don't i don't know whether the whether it can be fixed or not um um, because of politics, to David's point, um, and again, I, I've, I've met people on both sides in Washington D.C. of the Republican Party, very sincere men and women. Uh, I've talked to sincere men and women uh, on the Democratic side. Uh, Congressman Raskin is one of them. On the other side of this break, we're going to bring the interview to you. Um, tune in for that. Please stay, stay by your. Uh, computers, your phones, for this interview with, with Congressman Raskin. Heart-wrenching. Uh, but we're going to hear what his thoughts are as he headed the committee uh, in order to try to bring some sense to all of this and hopefully institute change that we never see this type of violence again. This is AJC Radio, the insurrection of January 6th. We revisited the voices from Capitol Hill. Coming up, 
exclusive interview with Congressman Jamie Reskin. We'll be right back. Let me tell you who to blame. Blame the boy lying at your feet, his body oozing life through the hole in his stomach where the bullet tore him apart. Blame him for challenging you, for not looking away and for not backing down when you pulled out the gun. Blame your mother for bringing you into this world when she was but a kid herself and for dragging you up, not bringing you up. Blame society for not giving you hope. Blame your father for not being there the man who looked after himself instead of looking after you. Blame the gun in your hand for making you a target, for making you more likely to be picked on. Blame the dead boy, blame your mother, blame society, blame your father, blame the gun, blame anyone but yourself for not being strong enough to put down the gun, to break the cycle. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252. Or visit a-justcause.com and click the Donate button. A Just Cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. Because I'm 16, I can't drive at night. Because I'm 16, I can't work past 10 o'clock on a school night. Because I'm 16, I can't get a cell phone contract without my parents. Because I'm 16, I can't get a flu shot without my mother's consent. At 16, I'm not old enough to watch an R-rated movie alone. Because I'm 16, I can't buy a lottery ticket. I can't vote. I can't drink. I can't smoke. I can't join the military. Because I'm 16, I can't sit on a jury, but I can be tried as an adult. I can get a lifetime criminal record. If I get arrested, my parents don't have to be notified. Because I'm 16, my mother had to sign this consent form so that I could participate in this video. But I can go to an adult prison. But I can go to Rikers Island. But I can be sent to Attica. My name is Michael Corriero. I was a judge for 28 years in the criminal courts of the state of New York. New York is one of only two states in the entire nation that it automatically tries children as young as 16 as adults. We need to change that. Last week, my father sent me to my room. Next week, a judge could sentence me to an adult prison. We need to judge children as children. It's time to raise the age of criminal responsibility in New York. I'm a father. I'm a sister. A registered nurse. I serve my country in the United States military. I'm your neighbor. I sit next to you at church. And my child was arrested. Held in custody. Questioned without my knowledge. Exposed to violence. Witnessed to rape. Placed in solitary confinement. Unable to call or see me. Shackled. 
to a wall. Beaten. Sentenced as an adult at age 17. Sentenced as an adult at age 16. Sentenced as an adult at age 15. We felt lost. Isolated. Ostracized. Misjudged. Terrified. And in the absence of all hope, my child took his own life. And then I found the Alliance for Youth Justice. They gave me the support and resources to get through one of the most difficult times in my life. Now I know I'm not alone. And neither are you. Now we have a voice. Now we, we have, have power. power. In numbers. In numbers. In numbers. We, we can, can make a difference. There are approximately two million children in the juvenile and criminal justice system in this country. These are the faces of those families. If you are the family member of a child who has been in the justice system, or if you are someone who supports this movement and is ready to make a difference, visit the Campaign for Youth Justice at www.campaignforyouthjustice.org. I stand for equality. I stand for individuality. I stand for peace. I stand for diversity. I stand for dignity. I stand for respect. I stand for fairness. Red, yellow, black, white. We're all the same color. When you turn out the lights. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio, bringing the message of justice around the world tonight. The insurrection, January 6th, the violence that shook a nation, and really one of the worst actions, if you will, after an election that we've seen in the history uh, of this nation. Uh, William, you have some thoughts? Yes, I, I was just, you know, as we were talking here between the, the break, we were talking about the fact, you know, that if we really don't get our hand, a handle on understanding the political machines and how they push these buttons of people, we're going to, you know, this is this is an, an outcome of those of those button of that button pushing of feeding um, the so the social unrest. And, uh, you know, this is a product of it. And so, you know, I, I, I just really I really think that we as a as a country, we need to understand that that no. politically. You know, we need to understand how it works and what they're force-feeding us. No, absolutely right. And right now, as I told you, our listeners earlier, had an opportunity to, to sit down with an interview with Congressman Jamie Raskin. Uh, got a great deal of respect uh, from Mr. Raskin, Congressman Raskin, excuse me, represents Maryland's 8th Congressional District, United States House of Representatives, uh, and also was set as the head uh, of the committee uh, investigating the January 6th insurrection. I'm going to let him tell his story, uh, the tragedy that he was facing at the time of this insurrection is beyond words. Uh, right now, we go to that interview, Congressman Jamie Raskin. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is AJC Radio. Lamont Banks here. Uh, honored to have our very special guest, uh, Congressman Raskin. 
uh, on, on uh, Capitol Hill, of course, uh, a very respectable uh, gentleman that's doing a lot of things in, in D.C., trying to get, uh, you know, some things done. And we're talking to the congressman today in regards to the January 6th violence that took place and his position and what has happened thus far. And congressman, we'd be very grateful to have you on our show. Well, I'm delighted to be with you, Lamont. Thanks for having me. Well, Congressman, I, I, I will tell you, I did see the, from the time that January 6th happened, I remember your heart-moving uh, talk that you had on the Hill regarding uh, your daughter and the, the violence of that day. And let me say really quick, uh, my sincere condolences uh, to the uh, passing, I believe, of your son. Is that correct? Yes, I appreciate that. Thank you, my son, Tommy. Yes, and, and please know our prayers also with you and your family. Thus making what we're going to talk about now regarding the insurrection so difficult, coming off of such a emotional situation with the loss of a loved one. Tell us a little bit, Congressman, if you can, without opening too many wounds here, uh, why it was important to you to speak to the American people regarding uh, what happened on January 6th. Well, the, the violent insurrection against Congress when we were trying to count the Electoral College votes was itself a terrible trauma, and uh, multiple people died. Uh, more than 140 police officers uh, were injured and wounded and uh, ended up in the hospital. I spoke today to um, uh, a woman whose um, husband uh, is still in the hospital uh, recovering from both physical wounds and, um, you know, post-traumatic stress from the attack. I mean, it was an absolute nightmare. It was like waves of medieval violence, as yes. the officer described it last Tuesday. So it was a trauma, but it, for our family, of course, it, it came upon the heels of another trauma, which is the loss of our son, Tommy. We had, we had buried Tommy the day before on January 5th. But when you think about it, the whole country was in trauma um, from COVID-19. Um, you know, we had lost more than a half a million Americans. That's a half a million American families uh, who were reeling. And we had the president uh, or the, you know, the outgoing president of the United States unleashing, for the first time in American history, um, mass political violence against Congress in order to overthrow an election. So when Speaker Pelosi asked me to, to lead the impeachment, what else could I do? I mean, I, I just I felt that I had no choice. And my, my son's life was um, it was all about peace and nonviolence. And um, he was in law school at Harvard, you know, studying to become a lawyer, some kind of human rights lawyer or animal rights lawyer. He was a a vegan, and he really thought that, you know, violence was like the enemy of humanity. And here was this violence exploding all around us and um, endangering Tommy's younger sister, Tabitha, who would come to work with me that day. Yeah, and Congressman, I know you had stated uh, in your speech uh, that your daughter said to you she did not want to come back. Yeah, well, when we finally got her out, remember, and she was stuck in a, a little office off of the uh, House chamber. So the members were evacuated uh, 
uh, over to a safe place, but she was still in the area where the insurrectionists had stormed the building, so I was freaking out, as you can imagine, but um, some Capitol Police officers basically saved her life like they saved all of our lives, the kind of officers that, that you saw, like, you know, Officer Dunn and Officer Fanon and Officer Hodges, you know, who you saw speak on Tuesday. They went and got her, and when I saw her and then uh, arranged for her to get home, because, of course, I had to stick around until, like, 4 or 4.30 in the morning in order to complete the business that Trump and his team had been trying to interrupt. Um, I said to her, I was so sorry. I mean, I could barely communicate what I felt, but I said, I promise it will never be like this again when you come back to the Capitol. And she said, Dad, I don't want to come back to the Capitol. Wow. And I'm sorry to, to hear that, but it speaks volumes to why the actions of January 6th were so horrific. And I did have an opportunity to watch the officers last week. Um, I have never been more heart-wrenched and and emotional um, to hear those guys. And I thought of you, and I thought this is what Congressman Raskin was trying to lead and inform the American people that this is just how violent it was. It was not some, well, somebody went in and they disagreed. No, this was a an attempted coup. That's the best way I can describe it. Well, it was. Um, I mean, the um, you know the, the muscle of all of these violent groups, the Proud Boys, the Aryan Nation, Three Percenters, Oath Keepers, you know, the, the violent white Christian nationalists, right? All of that stuff. Um, that was the violent insurrectionist level of the event. But at the very inside of it was just as you say, it was a coup. Um, the whole point of the plot was to get Vice President Mike Pence simply to reject the Electoral College votes from uh, Georgia, Arizona, and Pennsylvania. Now, he had no power to do that constitutionally. No president had ever exercised that before. They're much more like just a chair of the proceeding. They didn't have any substantive power to do that. And so he said he couldn't do it. But that's what, you know, provoked the wrath and the rage of Donald Trump. But you ask yourself, where did tens of thousands of Trump supporters get the idea they should be chanting, hang Mike Pence, hang Mike Pence, Trump's own vice president. It could only have come from one person, Donald Trump. Right. right. I, and, and that, um, I, I, I'm just, look, I'm 52 years old. I've, I've seen a few things uh, in, my, in my 52 years. I have never, and I've always been a news junkie, always, most of my life to pay attention to what's on the news and when I saw that and I, when I saw the crowds uh, it was uncomprehendable to me how do people uh, unify uh, to do such an act of violence uh, and at what well, cost you know and that was the importance of the impeachment trial and he, you know we we had robust majorities bipartisan bicameral majorities in the house and the senate declaring as a constitutional and legislative fact that Donald Trump incited that violent insurrection against America. He was impeached in the House. He beat the constitutional spread in the Senate. We needed 67 votes to convict, but we still had 57 to 43 declaring that he did it. Um, I mean, it was many weeks and many months of propagandizing the public with his big lie, asserting that he had really won the election in a landslide and it was being stolen away from him by 
corrupt election officials, uh, many of whom were Republicans. You remember when he called up Raffensperger, the Secretary of State of Georgia, he said, just find me 11,781 votes. That's all I want. I mean, he was trying to perpetrate election fraud while he was denouncing a completely fictional election fraud. So, you know, you, you can, if you're the president of the United States, you can put together a mob of 40 or 50,000 people just propagandizing people through social media. But what he did was he brought all those extremist groups together and he actually created a movement for violent white supremacy and opposition to the Union. And, you know, the Confederate battle flag never waved in the U.S. Capitol during the actual Civil War, and it waved on that day in the rotunda. Yeah. No, and, and, and Congressman, let me ask you a question. How – this is what's, I think, concerning to the American people, that how do you have Mitch McConnell come doing his speech after this insurrection and makes the statement – that Donald Trump was responsible, uh, that he was wrong for what he did, but then you don't vote to impeach. How, how well, is that? He, he hat on claim that the Senate did not have the power to conduct a trial of a former president, which we contradicted and refuted on the first day of the trial, Joe Neguse and I. Um, we showed that for more than two centuries, the Senate had conducted trials of former officials. I mean, in fact, when the union started in some states under the state constitutions, you could only try people who had left office. You couldn't do it while they were in. I mean, it was so well established that you could try a former official. And of course, it only makes sense because if not, you know, a president could just resign real quickly in order to prevent being impeached and convicted and then run again. And that doesn't make any sense. I mean, nothing made about that. But really what happened with McConnell was he didn't have enough votes. In the, he was looking for a majority of his caucus, 26 votes mm-hmm. on his side. And I think he would have voted to convict at that point, but he didn't have it. And I think he just wanted to maintain his power over the caucus. So he's another guy who put his politics first. And you, you got to hand it to, you know, Mitt Romney and Liz Cheney and uh, Adam Kinzinger, a handful of others. I mean, they're Republicans. I don't share their politics in any way, but they are constitutional patriots. They're willing to stand up for, uh, you know, democracy within our constitutional structure. No, absolutely right. And I've, my hat's off to Liz Cheney uh, and to the uh, Mitt Romney and, and Kissinger. Uh, I saw his emotional response to the officers. Um, it was very yeah. troubling. It was very troubling. And uh, did you I, I know? Guess, can I tell you one thing about that? I, you know, yeah. um, that officer Hodges, the officer who got mm-hmm. caught in the, the doorway, who was screaming his head off. He was tortured, basically. We saw him being tortured. Did you know right. that when they finally dislodged him and we they got him out? That they, you know, he I don't know if he took a shower or they just, you know, they threw water on his face to get all the chemicals off because you saw that guy who sprayed him directly in right. the face with for chemical mace they brought or whatever after they they wiped him off he went back out and fought again oh he did he was fighting for a couple hours after that wow what a hero yeah and i count you Not, congressman well i, I, I do yeah, count you guys, <laughs> no listen i, I appreciate do, i count those guys, i count those guys as, as a hero but i count you congressman because you stood up and you led the way and without leadership uh and, and passion that you have and that you've shown through this process, 
uh, who who gets behind you and follows. You can't follow nobody unless somebody leads them. And I, I appreciate what you did that day. I appreciate your voice this day and, and for the future uh, and what you stand for. I have the utmost respect for you and your office and your staff. Uh, and I can't say enough. And we're going to we're going to definitely, uh, I'm sure, talk again. And I guess I appreciate it. Please, uh, as we are up against the clock for your time, please uh, know that not only our prayers and thoughts with you, but probably a lot of prayers of the American people. Uh, your courage uh, in the midst of it, adversity and the midst, in the middle of loss uh, of your son. Uh, I don't have words to tell you how much that means. Uh, as we talk about our leaders on Capitol Hill, you stand out as one of the the heroes on Capitol Hill, man. And I'm, I'm telling you, we appreciate you so much. Your family, your children, uh, our thoughts go with you always. And I thank you for taking some time out of your schedule to talk to us and talk to the American people about that day. Any closing okay, remarks you want to give us? Well, I, just, I thank you for your, your very kind and generous remarks. And uh, it's a tough time. I wish I could say that we had put an end to it with the trial. Um, it's not over. We're, we're still in the thick of this fight. And we've learned like prior generations of Americans, like our dear Bob Moses, who we just lost last week. We've learned that if you want to have a democracy, you got to fight for the democracy. It's something we all take out, take care of together. And uh, thank you for what you do, because uh, unlike what Donald Trump said, uh, the media are not the enemies of the people. The media, the journalists, the reporters are the people's best friends. And uh, we're not going to survive without knowing the truth. So thank you for what you do every day. And thank you, Congressman. And we'll be in touch. And uh, uh, again, please pass on to our people. I think the test will be 2024. Um, and we'll see if, if they vote, uh, if Trump happens to get back in the race. If uh, he does, uh, that's time for America to speak that we believe in what Congressman Raskin stood for on that day. And we're going to show it at the well, point. That, that's our hope. Don't let your... Don't let him forget about 2022 either, because it's right around the yes. corner now. <laughs> yes, sir. We'll, we'll mention that. Okay, Congressman. Listen, enjoy your enjoy your time uh, with your family, and uh, our thoughts and prayers are with you. Continue to tune into our show. We're doing some good things here. Thank you for taking time with us today. We appreciate it. Pleasure's all mine. Bye-bye. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, Congressman Raskin uh, from Maryland uh, doing some stuff. Uh, really led the charge about the in regards to the insurrection, uh, a day that this nation will never forget. Um, and on the uh, the day before, the eve before the insurrection, Congressman Raskin lost his son uh, and was dealing with that grief and still had the courage to stand against this type of violence in our nation's capital. To Congressman Raskin, to all those that take a stand for what's right, AJC Radio salutes you. We thank you so much for your service. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. Nine one one operator nine one. Where's the emergency? One twenty seven. Bring Okay, what's going on there? I'd like to order a pizza for delivery. Ma'am, you've reached 911. This is an emergency yeah, line. Uh, large with half pepperoni, half mushroom. Um, you know you've called 911. This is an emergency line. Do you line. know how long it'll be? Okay, ma'am. Is everything okay over there? Do you have an emergency or not? Yes. 
and you're unable to talk because... Right, right. Is there someone in the room with you? Just say yes or no. Yes. Okay, um... It looks like I have an officer about a mile from your location. Are there any weapons in your house? No. Can you stay on the phone with me? No. Uh, see you soon. Thank you. Look, right now, uh, while you're looking at this on your screen, in your hand, or on your computer, there's somebody just like you who's sitting in a prison cell. And they didn't do much more than you did, you know, some crazy weekend. You didn't get caught. They got caught. And they can never get uncaught. The United States of America is now the number one incarcerator of human beings in the world, in the history of the world. Uh, we have about 5% of the world's population. We have 25% of the world's prisoners. Um, we, are, we have more people locked up than China. China, who has a billion people, they got fewer prisoners than we do. You know, a lot of times people say, well, if you don't want to do the time, don't do the crime. Really? Have, have you ever committed a crime? You got people who are doing more drugs in, on college campuses, in uh, uh, yacht clubs, country clubs. We all know that's going on, but the SWAT team never shows up there. The SWAT team shows up in the housing projects where you got poorer people doing fewer drugs, and those people go to prison. But think about it. What if one of the times when you were breaking the law, when you had something illegal in your pocket, in your car, at your party, the police had kicked in those doors, would you want to be known for the rest of your life? based on what happened that night. That is what is happening to millions of people. If rich folks' kids get in trouble, they go to rehab. Poor folks' kids get in trouble, they go to prison. And you spend $100,000 per year per kid to lock a kid up. When you could have spent a fraction of that and turned them into a NASA scientist, turned them into a, a, a fashion icon. When people come home from prison, they're not given the opportunity to start over. You leave a physical prison and you go into a social prison where you can't get a job, you can't get a student loan, you can't rent an, rent an apartment. How are people supposed to start over? And what happens to neighborhoods when you take a disproportionate number of people out for minor offenses and you send them back home with no hope and no opportunity? There are no more excuses to have this horrible system continue when there is now finally bipartisan agreement that it is a tragedy to do this. Not only do you have President Obama and the Democrats, you now actually have uh, people like Paul Ryan, Koch Industries, Newt Gingrich, all saying the same thing. We are locking up too many people. We're wasting too much money. We're, we're wasting too much genius in America. And it's time to do something. Ladies and gentlemen, can I ask you a question? Did you know that there are over 2.4 million people behind bars in the United States? I'll ask you one more question. Were you aware that that is the highest number of people behind bars in the entire world? The United States makes up of only 5% of the world's population but we have over 25% of the world's prison population. America prides itself on being the most advanced and progressive nation on earth. 
However, sadly, we are also the world's most archaic. I'm going to give you a personal invitation to get involved with the fight against mass incarceration. Take a few moments to call 1-855-529-4252. That is a just cause. And we fight for justice. Again, call a just cause today. Don't delay. Call 1-855-529-4252. It is time, and I say high time, that we take America's incarceration seriously. Won't you join us? Call today. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight. Moments ago, as you heard Congressman Jamie Raskin give his account of the insurrection of January 6th, the courage, as I alluded to in that interview with the congressman, was short of, of really short of perfection. You could not really give it the due attention that it needed that the day before such a violent act, Congressman Raskin buried and lost his son, affectionately known as Tommy, lost him and was taken. If you find yourself trying to put yourself in the Congressman's shoes, you may want to try this. Congressman Raskin gets up that morning to do the people's business and solidify, if you will, the Electoral College securing the election for Joseph Biden as the winner of that election. All of a sudden, violence breaks out. His daughter is at another part of the Capitol as violence erupts. He is wondering at that moment where his daughter is because the violence erupted so quickly. Congressman Raskin was in fear of, of the fact that his daughter could also be lost as he had just lost his son the night before. If that does not signify courage to come forward and to lead the charge to inform the American people of what had just occurred at the people's house that I don't know what does. To Congressman Raskin, to his family, and all that were involved with this type of emotion on that day, a just cause gives you a very special thank you for your courage and for your fight for justice in this situation. I'd like to find out now, Dennis, your thoughts on Congressman Raskin, what you heard, uh, how did it strike you? Uh, it was, I mean, it was heroic. Uh, no matter how you look at it, it was. Uh, this guy uh, just experienced a loss of uh, a loved one, a son, and, and then you have this happen, and now he's uh, fighting, actually, for his life and his daughter's life. Mm -hmm. And he said, I mean, one thing I, I, I took out of it, he said, even when it was over, 
at the end of the interview, he said, it, it, the fight isn't over yet. Because we got to make sure that this doesn't happen again. And the only way we could do that is we got to make sure that the American people understand what really happened that day. And how do we do that? We do it with an investigation. But again, the compassion in his voice, uh, when he stood and he spoke on it, uh, I, I tell you, and the tears came, you know, and, and he started crying. It was like, this man is truly, truly concerned about this nation and, and, and how we go forward. And we're going to actually play that emotional um, account of information uh, during that speech. We're going to actually share that with our listeners here momentarily as we get more thoughts here. Uh, Samson, your thoughts on Congressman Raskin? Well, I mean, the, the the amount of resolve that this man has, you know, is is admirable. Like like Dennis was mentioned, I mean, he he buried a loved one literally the day before. Gets up, goes to work because he puts the welfare of the nation, what needs to be done for our nation, ahead of his own emotions, ahead of his own agendas. He has so much so that he has his young daughter there. He wasn't going to work expecting, you know, a riot or an insurrection to ensue. He was going there to do what he knew needed to be done. And, I mean, like, again, like Dennis was mentioning, you could hear the care and concern and utter fear that he had at that moment, not knowing where his daughter was, not knowing what was going to happen. Yeah. And now, basically, you know, being the spearhead to say, hey, no, we need to investigate this. We need to make something happen. We need, we can't just sit idly by and act like, you know, this is okay, that this is what our country is really about. Yes, you can protest. Yes, you can speak out, but do so in a non-violent manner. Don't sit here and try and tear down a, an institution that is a part of our, our nation's symbol, the, na the, the nation's capital there, you yeah. know? And so to, so to hear that amount of resolve after everything he's gone through, is it's admirable. Dave Zafolo. One of the things that really strikes me is when you hear him talk about his daughter. I mean, they were there together. She was there with her uh, husband, and they got separated. And the daughter and the husband were sending out text messages thinking that this was the, this was the end. They thought they were going to die. When you think about that and you think about this man he just lost his son his daughter and her husband are sending out text messages thinking that they're going to die it's just it's heart-wrenching to see that and then you hear the testimony of the police officers this was a horrible day for the people there but it was a horrible day for our country to see what would happen and where things would go and you know that Bad actors in other countries are looking at this and saying, maybe we can do this again. Kendrick? I just thought it was sad about his, one thing that stood me about his daughter not wanting to come back to the Capitol. And I, and I, that really, uh, that bothered me because it's, how many people have taken their, you know, bring your child to work day and and had an opportunity to say, hey, you know what, this is, this is where daddy works at. And now because of one incident, She's she's got a bad experience where I'm basically traumatized. I don't want to come back to the Capitol, and so her example is is. I mean, I don't know how old she is, but it's like you'd almost think, well, what was it? What was it all about? You know. Well, as, as Dave alludes to, she uh, she was there with her husband. She's uh, 24. 24 years old, um, but also just losing her brother, uh, and thinking, typing a text message that this is it. It's unacceptable. Somebody has to be held accountable for that. And um, the son-in-law is actually married to his older daughter. 
So Tabitha was single. She was there. Oh, with, she was not there with her husband. As with you her husband, to. no. Chronic um, is married to Raskin's older daughter, Hannah. Okay, so this was just his daughter. And I went there, Dave, based upon the... And I did too. No, I no. just noticed that. Uh, so at the end of the day, this is a, a young lady that's... Uh, that's hurting as a result of the loss of her. I mean, I can't imagine the day after you have a funeral. Uh, if you've lost anybody, you know that's not a good time. Uh, that's a very raw situation. Um, so yeah, our hats off. Hats off to the Raskin family, Demetrius. Uh, one of the things that stood out to me is his commitment to not let this happen. What happened on January 6th happen again? He, one of the last things he said was the truth. And he said, hey, we got to get to the bottom of this so this doesn't happen, you know, to, to his Dave's point with his daughter. You know that has to break him up inside that my his own daughter doesn't want to come see him in that setting due to the fact of what happened that day. So his his d commitment and his diligence to uh, get to the bottom of this is very admirable. So I appreciate that. And David, your thoughts? Yeah, it's his story is one. It's a very tragic situation. It's a. Uh, perfect traumatic storm uh, I think to lose your child and then be faced with potentially losing another child and potentially your own life uh, that's a sad tragedy uh, and this uh, January 6th event obviously is getting a lot of political and attention uh, because of uh, the nature of uh, the attack on the Capitol an attack on such a uh, uh, on the main institution, government institutions in this country. But uh, I'm still struck by the fact that um, if you look around the country right now uh, and the violence, whether it be Chicago and other major cities that's going on where parents face what Jamie Raskin face every day. They send their kids out to, uh, to school. One of them gets killed and then they have to send the kids out again. Uh, I just think uh, you give deference to the attack on the Capitol, but there always has to be deference. There are a lot of people that live in Mr. Raskin's situation on a daily basis with their own families have to go out into violent neighborhoods. And sadly, they may not come back. And then the, the mothers and fathers of those children, children are many times reeling, and they're, they're stuck in many times in these situations, and they might have multiple kids. They may have to send another kid out. And I just can't imagine, uh, given the, the trauma that uh, Mr. Uh, Raskin suffered, that many other mothers and people are, are suffering in these violent areas to send their send their children out and <coughs> excuse me, I would like to see uh, not only get to the bottom of what happened at the at the Capitol, but also get to the bottom and the root cause of uh, the issues going on in in some of the biggest cities. Uh, and I think uh, that's important because sometimes th this is this is big government, and sometimes little people get lost in big government and so that's that's just uh, for my part uh, what I'd like to say well and they I think if anyone has a history uh, Congressman Raskin has been voted this is his third term uh, in Congress from the state of Maryland 
Uh, I'll tell you what. Maryland is no uh, picnic. Uh, and the district in which he represents is not a picnic by any means. I would presume that the voters of Congressman Raskin believe his heart to be connected with the issues that David alludes to here. That there are people, and Maryland is a, has been known as a, a violent uh, uh, area uh, as far as crime, as far as homicide, things like that. Uh, and I'm, I'm grateful that for the people of Maryland, I'm glad that they have a representative such as Congressman Raskin. Uh, that you hear, as, as everybody's alluded to here today, you hear from his heart uh, that he has a heart to be there. Three terms in Congress is pretty good. Uh, somebody is saying we believe in what you're doing, uh, and I would presume, to David's point, to be connected with those families that suffer tragedies every day. Uh, I wouldn't, I, I'd be happy to have a person like Congressman Raskin in that position uh, to take a look at those situations as he does the insurrection as well. I'd have to believe that based upon the, his third term being voted uh, as their congressman for that district. So I, I think uh, David's point is, is well noted. Uh, and you need other members of Congress as well uh, from, from the inner cities and places like this that things are going on to bring action. And I think Congressman Raskin is in a position to do just that. Clint? Yeah, I, I just can't uh, dismiss or get away from uh, part of his, uh, you know, profile and background as a 25-year professor uh, of constitutional law, um, and and the fact that he said when Nancy Pelosi asked him to do the investigation, uh, he eagerly, you know, took up that, uh, uh, you know, challenge to do so. It's it's very much moving uh, to hear him talk about his daughter and how. She doesn't want to come back because of being traumatized by this incident at, at the Capitol. So you see a father who he would like for that to be different, but he understands and he's so hurt. He's a constitutional attorney, a constitutional uh, instructor of law. And then to, to have his daughter see America in that light and not want to even participate uh, is just very, very, very very tough. William? You know, when you listen to him, you, you really hear, you know, this this will forever impact him and his family. And, you know, he had a couple of good, great points there when he was talking about, you know, what he felt being, you know, his father. He's talking about his, you know, his daughter was in another office. You know, everybody, he's worried. He's, you know, all these things. Uh, and you can only imagine you know what it was like at that time but um i tell you it was really heartfelt and you understood that that it was very traumatic and there's no way you could you could not go through that and see that and feel that and then he understood that he had a job he had to do you know at the end of it he had a job he had to do well, uh, and there were people that were going to be impacted and things need to change because all of a sudden now we're seeing what we would have often seen in other third world countries we're seeing it here in, in our capital and, and and that's what he went on to talk about. No, for sure. And what I'd like to do to our listeners is let them hear uh, that heartfelt uh, uh, conversation where he is recounting uh, the Capitol breach, what took place on January 6th, the insurrection. Let's play that clip. I'm going to come back and talk about it as we get ready to close this show. My youngest daughter, Tabitha, was there 
with me on Wednesday, January 6th. It was the day after we buried her brother, our son Tommy, the saddest day of our lives. Also, there was my son-in-law, Hank, who's married to our oldest daughter, Hannah, and I, I consider him a son too. And then there was a sound I will never forget, the sound of pounding on the door like a battering ram, the most haunting sound I ever heard, and I will never forget it. My chief of staff, Julie Tagan, was with Tabitha and Hank locked and barricaded in that office, the kids hiding under the desk, placing what they thought were their final texts and whispered phone calls to say their goodbyes. They thought they were going to die. But I hugged them and I apologized and I told my daughter Tabitha. Who's 24 and a brilliant algebra teacher in Teach for America. Now, I told her how sorry I was and I promised her that it would not be like this again the next time she came back to the Capitol with me. And you know what she said? She said, Dad, I don't want to come back to the Capitol. <laughs> of all the terrible, brutal things I saw and I heard on that day, and since then, that one hit me the hardest. That and watching someone use an American flagpole, the flag still on it, to spear and pummel one of our police officers ruthlessly, mercilessly, tortured by a pole with a flag on it that he was defending with his very life. People died that day. Officers ended up with head damage and brain damage. People's eyes were gouged. An officer had a heart attack. An officer lost three fingers that day. Two officers have taken their own lives. Senators, this cannot be our future. This cannot be the future of America. We cannot have presidents inciting and mobilizing mob violence against our government and our institutions because they refuse to accept the will of the people under the Constitution of the United States. Have it, Congressman Jamie Raskin. We, as the American people, regardless of what platform that you may have, we have an obligation to stand with what's right. To hear the emotion, who I call from someone I call a dear, who's been a dear friend to us. 
and a true example of what a patriot is. My heart goes out to Congressman Raskin. Many times in our nation's capital, whether you find yourself as a congressional leader, a Senate leader, you are a leader. Leaders many times have to go against feelings, emotions, situations in order to lead. I see no better example than Congressman Raskin in a situation that tore his emotions apart, as you could hear. The question is, what do we do as a society? What do we do as a nation? In order to ensure that these things don't happen again. Certain things just shouldn't happen. It's heart-wrenching to think about Tommy, the son of Congressman Raskin, without becoming emotional. Because I can only imagine to get up and go to work the next day, and after this, Take the leadership reins, if you will, to be part of the committee that investigates this violence. Congressman Raskin wasn't, he tried to say, no, I'm not a hero, as I called him that. But it is what it is. Our prayers, our thoughts go to all of the families that lost people on that day. Because that day is not too far removed from reality. And that wound is very much open to those who lost loved ones. To the families of the officers who took their lives as a result of this day. Our hearts and prayers go out to your families. To the officers that testified with courage on the hill a little over two weeks ago, we say thank you and we appreciate your service. To the family members that watched their loved ones testify that day and have been treated anything less than humane, we say thank you for your courage. For the American people who watched on their television sets in horror, we say and we give you a very, very sorry and an apology that this happened in this country on that day. And for anyone else that may not have been mentioned We say thank you for your courage and for your service to every Capitol Hill police officer and for every officer that puts their lives on the line every day in situations like this and others. Thank you for your service. 
and to every member of Congress, Congressional and Senate. It is our hope that justice is done right, that it's done correctly, and that you're able to do your job for the best outcome for the American people. For those that voted for you, let's be an example of that vote. Somebody believed in you to do the right thing. To Liz Cheney, Mitt Romney, Kinzinger, Congressman Kinzinger, for your courage to take a stand in the midst of adversity within your party, we say thank you. This has been an emotional show. Very special thanks to Congressman Raskin for his interview with us. And we thank you. He listens to our show all the time. Thank you for your service to this nation. Till next time, America, take care of each other, take care of yourself and each other, and be safe. This is AJC Radio. Good night.